Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm Curious City multimedia producer Catherine Nagasawa. If you've ever sipped cold beer at a party or made Sunday morning pancakes, you might have taken part in a culinary experience with roots in a century old Chicago event. I'm talking about the 1893 World's Fair, also known as the World's Columbian Exposition. What a delightful vista. It was a spectacle that sprawled across Jackson Park on the south side. Over the course of six months, 27 million people from around the world flocked to the fair. They came to see the latest innovations, learn about other cultures, and ride the world's first Ferris wheel. A modern miracle. Curious citizen Michael Dotson wanted to know about some of the relics of the World's Fair. And while we could look at some old buildings or museum pieces, instead, I'm going to focus on three iconic foods at the fair and how they launched groundbreaking marketing ideas that we still use today. Those products are Heinz condiments, Aunt Jemima pancake mix, and Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. First up, Heinz condiments and the birth of the coupon. This story all started with a man who was in a bit of a pickle. You see, Heinz Condiments founder Henry J. Heinz was assigned a second-floor booth in the World's Fair exhibit hall. Here's historian Andy Masick. Heinz had pyramids of horseradish sauce and pickles and ketchup, and nobody was taking the hundred or so stairs, steps, to get to the second floor of the exhibit hall. He was dying up there. So Heinz found some local boys and hired them to walk around the first floor and drop these gold tags all over the ground that said, bring to the Heinz booth on the second floor for a free prize. And people would be walking along, catch the glint of gold out of the corner of their eyes, and they'd stoop down and pick up one of these tags. So they'd they'd look at each other and say, hey, let's go see what we won. And they'd troop up the steps by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. More than a million people eventually found their way to the booth to claim a small pin, a green pickle with the Heinz logo. A reporter wrote that the floor sagged from all the people standing around the pickle display. Consumer culture expert Dr. Joseph Malherrick says coupons and promotional prizes were a new marketing strategy at the time. It was, you know, accomplished a number of things for manufacturers. It was a way to measure the impact of the advertising that they were purchasing. It was a way to train consumers to recognize their trade iconography. And and it was a way to ensure a kind of consumer loyalty. So Heinz's two big ideas, the golden coupon and the pickle pin prize, were part of a realization that success wasn't so much dependent on how good his condiments were. It was about brand awareness. And lucky for him, he figured this out in front of an audience of millions. Here's Andy Masick again. This gave him national and international stature, which he parlayed into the largest food empire in the world at that time. 
Next up, Aunt Jemima pancake mix and the emergence of the trademark character. The World's Fair coincided with a big change in how and where people bought things. Rather than going to the general store and buying whatever they had, consumers could now shop at a department store or order from a catalog. According to Mulherrick, brands now had to find a way to stand out. I mean, trade characters like Aunt Jemima appeared right around that time, around 1890. And that was another way for a manufacturer of a certain kind of flour to distinguish uh, his brand from other generic flours. The Davis Milling Company had a pancake mix they called Aunt Jemima, based on a popular minstrel song. But Aunt Jemima would make her world debut at the fair in the form of Nancy Green, a former slave living in Chicago. Nancy Green was selected because she fit the type of of what they thought an Aunt Jemima should be. That's Romy Crawford, a visual and critical studies professor at the Art Institute of Chicago. She is playing a a type of derogatory role um, in caricature, right, of black women. And although today we recognize the character as a racist stereotype, Mulherrick says the company was tapping into prevailing ideas of the time. This was a product that was somehow suggestive of the household, a kind of pre-industrial past. It, it was an attempt to evoke certain, believe it or not, nostalgic kind of images in the minds of mostly white consumers. So Aunt Jemima pancake mix was less about the quality of the pancakes and more about selling an idea. In this case, the mammy fantasy. The idea of a matronly black servant happily preparing food. And it worked. News stories about the fair painted a picture of Green standing next to the world's largest flour barrel. She sang while making pancakes and told romanticized stories about her days as a slave in the South. And after the fair, Nancy Green was offered a lifetime contract to play Aunt Jemima and traveled the country on promotional tours. And the character trademark became a familiar part of American consumerism. Think about Ronald McDonald, Tony the Tiger, or hundreds of others. So Heinz and Aunt Jemima became famous by using innovative marketing techniques at the fair. But another company, Pabst, used the brand of the fair itself as a marketing tactic for Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, 50 years after the fair ended. The story goes like this. The competition for best beer at the World's Fair came down to Budweiser and Pabst. John Eastberg, executive director of the Pabst Mansion, says that in the end, after months of debate and controversy, Pabst won by a sliver. There never was any blue ribbon. There never was a gold medal. Essentially, it was a a certificate. Yeah, not such a big deal after all. But 50 years later, Pabst added a tagline at the bottom of their cans, selected as America's best in 1893. Pabst had had trouble with beer sales in the 1950s, and so they thought this would be a really good gimmick. You know, going back to the 1893 World's Fair, it's still on every can and bottle of Pabst Blue Ribbon to this day. Even half a century after the fair, Pabst understood that the event had marketing power, and they wanted to tie themselves to the fair's mystique. You know, the World's Fair Committee never meant for these awards to be, like, hotly contested. Uh, Clearly, nobody thought about the marketing uh, legs of something like this. These concepts of tying your product to a famous event, creating characters for your brand, and handing out coupons for prizes, they're still with us. So maybe it's no coincidence that we're still enjoying Heinz condiments, Aunt Jemima pancake mix, and PBR today. So when we think about what relics of the World's Fair remain, 
maybe we don't have to look any further than the local grocery store. Reporting comes from me, Katherine Nagasawa. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Next time on Curious City. All right, let's talk pizza boxes. And milk jugs, plastic bags, and crusty glass jars. We follow the people who actually pick up your recycling to learn which items you can and can't recycle. And here's news. You can recycle pizza boxes, but only if they're empty and clean. Really nice, clean cardboard. These little few spots, no big deal. Nice piece of cardboard, take it all day long. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.